Relationships are confusing, right? We, we've tread this ground before. Uh, we realize that, you know, there are times in our relationships where we don't have all the right answers. And a lot of times, those questions and that confusion stems from the fact that there's always a next step, right? There's always a next movement. There's always the next phase of a relationship. And we're not always sure when it's time to go there or how, or how to get there, right? Maybe we have a crush on someone and we don't know. Like, when do I call to pretend to be a Domino's pizza delivery guy? Like, I don't know when that perfect moment is, right? Or maybe you've been going out with someone and you don't know, well, when do we become an official couple, right? Like when do we start introducing each other as, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend? When do we uh, kind of take that step? When do we meet each other's families, right? When is it safe when our parents come in for game day weekend for me to be like, I'll come to lunch, right? Like when, when is that time? Or when is it just like you pushing yourself on her dad and he's like, stop, right? Like, I don't know. Like when is that moment? How do you know when to take that next Step, when do you talk about the future together? When do you talk about marriage? When do you get married? When do you get engaged, right? Like, how do you get to that moment? When do you take your mom out for a pizza lunch to prove how serious you are about your mom? Or what? I don't know. I don't know how that factored in, but somehow. How do we know when is time to go to the next step? Because the reality is that that step is coming. The, the truth is that out of all of us in the room right now, Uh, at least 95%, right? Statistically speaking, over 95% of us are going to get married at some point. I already did. So I guess take me off the list. But the rest of you, over 95% of you are going to get married at some point in your life. So it's not really a question of if, it's more a question of when. When are you going to get married? When is that time going to come? For some of you, man, you're ready tomorrow, right? Like if that opportunity presented itself, you're ready, right? You've got the Aggie ring and you need to balance it out, right? Your your left hand is sorely lacking in bling, right? You need something over there. So you're ready. And some of you, you've decided, you know, I I don't ever even want to think about going that far with a person, right? There's no way I'm just not built for that kind of uh, long-term, one-on-one commitment relationship. For some of you, you feel like you're in relationships already that are basically there, right? You feel like you're maybe even married uh, in certain people's eyes or in God's eyes, right? You think that you're already there. And some of you, you're in relationships right now that you know are never going to get there. You know it's never going to get that far because it's broken and you're just kind of doing it because it's convenient or keep up appearances. I mean, the reality is that we're all headed in that direction. No matter where you fall on the spectrum, no matter whether you're looking back, uh, looking at a current or looking towards a future relationship, you will more than likely, over 95% possibility, you're going to get married. So when are you ready? When's it time? How do we move to that moment? In other words, how do we move towards marriage? All semester we've been talking about the Song of Songs. We've been studying it in an attempt to understand God's original design for relationships. We've been trying to understand, you know, like how how does he want our relationships to function? And one of the things that we discovered uh, is that songs much as a song has both a melody and a message, right? A song has the beautiful uh, tune, and, but behind that tune, behind that melody, there's a message that's being presented. In the same way, God designed relationships to have both a melody and a message. And so we as believers are trying to figure out how do we not just pursue great relationships, how do we pursue godly relationships? How do we pursue relationships that sing God's song? In other words, how can we find in the melody of our relationships a way to present his gospel, his message. 
How do we do that? And we've looked at all these different phases. We've looked at initial attraction. We've talked about uh, how to move towards that attraction, how to pursue that person. We've talked about how to have a, a maintain a healthy dating relationship. And in each one of those stages, we've asked ourselves, how does this reflect God's message of the gospel? How does this melody reflect his message? And so this evening, what we're doing is we're moving to that very next step. And we're looking at, well, what about when I'm in a relationship and it's getting deeper, it's getting more serious? How do I move that relationship intentionally towards marriage? What does that look like? And how in that moment am I reflecting the gospel? What we find in the passage this evening is that this couple or this collection of couples and their songs kind of move through three little phases. First of all, we see them revealing more and more about the other person. And then we see as they reveal more about the person, they begin to reveal problems in the relationship. And then what we find with this couple as they move to marriage is that as they reveal that person and reveal those problems, they then respond to both of those issues with a promise. And we look first at verse 10. So if you have your Bible, that's where we're going to be. Uh, Chapter 2, verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, they've been scattered around in different chairs. Uh, You can get someone to pass one down to you. Uh, But Song of Songs, chapter 2, verse 10. Uh, Just to recap, we're actually jumping into the middle of a song, in the middle of a poem. And in this poem, uh, we read a couple weeks ago, the guy is being described by the woman. So the woman is speaking, and she says, Oh, well, this guy uh, was so excited so pumped to be with me is that he's been jumping over hills. He's been leaping over mountains and he's been very clear and consistent, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago. One of the key pieces of uh, healthy pursuit of the other person is both sides being clear and consistent in the way that they move towards one another. In other words, not having any mystery about them, right? We discovered uh, the top Google image search for mysterious man is this guy. And we don't know why, which makes it even more mysterious and way more beautiful, and we've realized, wow, I don't want to be this pastel Easter egg looking dude with his maybe pregnant wife. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But we don't want to be this guy, right? We don't want to be this mysterious, unknown entity. Instead, we are being clear. We're being consistent. And that's what this man in the passage is doing. And so he shows up, this beloved, he shows up and he speaks and he says to the woman, he says, arise, my love, my beautiful one, come away. For behold, the winter is past. The rain is over. It's gone. He's speaking poetically with this beautiful language, saying, look, I'm going to give you a call to action. Arise. And then I use two descriptions of you. And then I give you another call to action. Come away. Why? Because the winter is past. The rain is over. It's gone. The flowers are appearing on the earth. The time of singing has come. The voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree, it ripens its figs. The vines are in blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one. Come away. This man is speaking poetically, beautifully, positively towards this woman. And what's he doing? He's calling her to action. He's saying, come, come out. She's in a room. He's outside the walls and he's saying, come on. Why? Why is there urgency? Why is now the time? Because he's telling her, look, it's it's the season, right? Like, look at all the figs. Baby, look at the figs. It's time. There's blossoms and there's fragrance. And oh my gosh, there's no more rain. There's turtle doves. The turtle dove. 
What more else do you need to signify that it's time for you to come join me in the land? We need to go out and move. Why? Because it's springtime. He's describing a season. He's describing spring. Uh, when he's talking about the winter is past, the rain is over, in Israel, uh, they have rain from about October to about March. I'm like, that's it. Like, that's all the rain they get ever. And so because of that, uh, that's their winter time. That's, those are their winter months. And so when about April or May hit, uh, that's springtime. The rain is over. The winter is past. And all of a sudden, it's this idea of new life, right? Everything's budding because everything just finally got rain. And it's like, oh, and so suddenly you see figs. Figs are everywhere. And they're like, oh my gosh, springtime. And everyone's getting excited. And they're like, let's go pick them. I don't know. I don't know what they do. But they're excited because it's springtime. And he's saying, look, this is the time. This is the right season. In other words, he's communicating something that a lot of us kind of know deep down, which is that timing is everything, right? Timing is everything, especially in a relationship. Certain conversations and situations have to occur naturally over time. There's no substitute for time in a relationship. Extended interaction, extended observation over time is necessary for a relationship to grow, for you to reveal more of that person. He's saying, I want to know you. I want to be with you, experience what it is to to live with you, and, and, and I need time, right? This is the time. We need time. You can't go on that first date and just sit down at the table at Chuck E. Cheese or wherever you go. Don't go, the, go Torchies, right? Just open. So go to Torchies, wait in line for two hours, and then you sit down. And you don't sit down at that table and look across and say, so what is your deepest insecurity? Hmm, right? Because then she would say, being with you? Like, I don't know, like, that's weird. You don't ask that kind of question, right? You don't jump right into that deep end on the very first time together. Why? Because it takes time. Will that eventually come out? Do you learn someone's insecurities? The more you get to know them, the, the longer you're together in a relationship? Absolutely. But my gosh, that's not the first date thing, right? You, you don't start off asking them how many kids they want to have and what eye colors you think would be ideal. Like, that's not first date material. Why? Because we know it takes time. There's no substitute for time in a relationship, in revealing that person. And this couple, what we see is they're waiting. They're willing to wait for that right time. One scholar describes it saying that the man's invitation is calling her out of her hiding and her inaccessibility heightens his desire. His excitement rises as he waits for his first glimpse of her. The reality is that they're not rushing their physical or emotional intimacy. They're waiting for the right time, which is countercultural for us now. When we live in a culture that's about, I, I want what I want when I want it. And we're used to getting that instant gratification in, in all things. And so we carry that idea into our relationships to the point now where over half of new relationships, there's a new study, over half of new marriages in America today are come about with a couple uh, who has already been living together, cohabitated or cohabited. Over half of new marriages in America today are couples that are already living together. And when we look at that, as believers, we say, well, that's, that's contrary to the Lord's will, right? The, the God, God calls us to, to have the sacredness of marriage between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, where they commit to each other and when they're married before God and before men, 
then, then they have that full freedom, right? They have that intimacy. But our culture says, no, 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 we're going to rush these types of things because I want to know more about this person. I want to kind of make sure we're compatible. I want to make sure we can live together. We'll try it out for a while. But the reality is that even the secular people in this world, the secular scholars, studies, have been conducted around this idea of cohabitation. And they've found, this is just straight up research from non-believers, saying that less than 30% of couples who live together before marriage and then get married, okay, less than 30%. In other words, more than 70% of those couples, when they get married, that marriage lasts less than five years. Less than 30% of them have marriages that last beyond five years because they get divorced. As opposed to 78%, in other words, almost 80% of couples who don't live together make it past that five-year mark. 30% versus 80. And that's New York Times study into living together. And they're finding, man, this just doesn't make since it doesn't really work. Why? Why isn't this working? It's because whenever we rush, I'll tell you from my experience, from seeing other people's experience in my family and my friends, whenever we rush, we cause regret. Rushing always creates regret. A lot of times it creates self-doubt, in your, or it creates doubt in yourself, or it creates doubt in your partner as to whether or not they can control themselves because they were pushing on this, or you were pushing on that, and, and once you get married, you don't know, like, are they under, keeping that under control now, or are they looking for this need outside of our marriage? If they couldn't wait then, how can they wait now? I don't know. We don't see there are a, lot of, a lot of trust in those relationships, one of the factors that was playing in. We also see whenever you're rushing, man, you, you create these connections that are so deep, and when you rush them, a lot of times those connections are made before they really need to be made. And then you don't necessarily stay together, right? Because you've only been together for a month or two months or whatever it is. And all of a sudden when it doesn't work out, when you break up seven months down the road, those scars are so much deeper. Those pains are so much more intense because you rushed. And you created those connections that didn't need to be there yet. We have to give that revelation time. We also see the need in this passage of giving it transparency. We see the woman, or sorry, the man speaking to the woman, and he's describing her uh, as a dove. He says, oh my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. Right, so this could be a completely separate couple, this could be a completely separate poem. It could be a continuation of the exact same couple. But either way, the man is speaking to the woman and he's saying, look, I, you're like a dove. Right? And we've heard this before, right? Earlier in the book, we've seen him use the analogy of saying uh, her eyes are like doves. And we were like, that doesn't, I don't know, what does that mean, right? But he's saying now, Oliver, whole thing, she's a dove. I'm like, oh, okay, taking it up a notch, right? And he says, and what, what kind of dove are you? Oh, you're the dove that's in the cleft of the rock. What does that mean? Right? What is he saying? You're in a rock. He's describing this kind of picture. That dove. See it? Right there. In the rock. Picture found by one of our interns. This is actually in Israel. So totally legit, right? Maybe this was the dove that he was looking at. Oh, yeah. That's just like Gertrude, right? Like, I don't know. 
But he's saying, you're like a dove in a rock. Like, don't get squished, right? Like, I don't know. Like, what is he trying to communicate with this analogy? And I think what he's saying is, you are accessible and yet not, right? You're kind of hidden, uh, but I'm going to move towards you. Why? Because both of them are initiating and moving towards one another. I know in this picture, it seems like he's more of like, dove in the rock, I will hunt you and grab you and feast. I don't know. Like, I don't know what he's getting at. But what he's saying, what we basically see in this image is, man, the man is speaking, but the woman is speaking as well. They're talking back and forth over and over and over again. There's a mutual movement. There's a mutual initiation. And he's saying, I want to move towards you. But he's using these farmer analogies, right? We keep seeing this, and we're going to see it continually. Uh, Even tonight, we're going to see more of these uh, agrarian examples. Why? It's because back then, man, it was an agrarian society. In other words, everyone was all about like farming and ranching and all that kind of stuff. And they were surrounded by doves and they were surrounded by uh, what we'll see in a minute is foxes. They're surrounded by all these different uh, animals and creatures. And so when you're surrounded by those types of things, that's what you draw from for your illustrations. The same way uh, that when you're talking to your uh, bay and you say, ah, oh, your hair is dark. Dark, like an 8 p.m. kickoff time at a football game, right? Your cheeks, oh, they're so sharp, like a loss, like the pain of a loss to Alabama, right? Like that's how you describe this person. Why? Because what you know, it's what you're surrounded by. Because you felt that dark pain, right? And so you carried over foolishly to describe your girlfriend, but maybe that's how it works. And you're describing, in other words, you're taking what you know and you're using it as an illustration. That's what he's doing. He's grabbing these things in the world around him. He's saying, oh, you're like this. And so not only is she there and as he's approaching, he's moving towards her in a positive way, gently, with love. But again, we see her responding. We see him not only moving, we see her responding and initiating affection, her own compliments. He's moving, but she's still cooing is the way I like to think about it, right? She's the dove, or whatever, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how you do it. To draw him towards you, right? But he's trying to draw her out with his dove hands. And she's trying to draw him towards herself. He says, oh, come on. She goes, ooh, ooh. Right? I don't know. That's how it's working. And so they're describing this beautiful picture of mutual movement. And they're both being incredibly clear in what they want and what they're doing and how they're thinking and what they're feeling. Right? They're being clear. They're being transparent. As they're seeking to reveal more about that person, they're not only giving it time, they're also giving it transparency. They're both moving in a way that's clear, consistent. The only mystery we see is that weird kind of flirty, cool thing, right? Like, I don't know. It's it's there. But they're moving in a way that's so clear, which is good for us to hear, good for us to emulate. Not in the sense that we need to have like a, you know, DTR every single date. You don't have to sit down at mug walls or whatever and talk about like where this relationship is headed. Every freaking day. I had friends who would over, they would just overthink it way too much. And every single time they would hang out, they'd be like, so where is this going? What, what are, who are you? What are we doing on this crazy world? You know, they just like go crazy. But you don't want to do that, right? We don't want to take it to the extreme. But at the same time, we need to communicate. How do I feel? What am I thinking? How do we communicate those ideas? Because it's easy to assume the longer you're with someone, it's easier to assume that they know what you're thinking or what you're feeling, when they don't. Man, they don't. They can ne- no one ever fully cracks that code. 
you think that maybe you've been together long enough that they should be able to tell when you kind of shrug your shoulder that way that you don't want to go to the tailgate, right? But you, ta- you shrug it, and they're like, let's go to the tailgate. And you're like, mm. And they're like, okay, cool, let's go. And you go, and then you're mad the whole time. And they confront you. They're like, why are you so mad? You're like, color to my right? And you're so mad. And suddenly you have this fight. And you're like, what's going on? And then you shrug this way, which is like, I'm mad at you or whatever it is. And you try to use this nonverbal language. It doesn't work. Man, it does not work. My wife and I have been together uh, for just over eight years. We've been married for about four and a half. And I'll tell you, even at our point, I mean, we don't, we can't read the other person's mind. We still have that disconnect where we have to stop and be like, hey, what, what do you want? Like, what are you thinking right now? I don't understand. This is often her speaking. What do you want? (laughs) What are you doing? Like, what are you thinking? We have to get it out. Then we just have to express it with our mouths, right? It's not enough for me to, maybe this shoulder thing might've been my thing, right? So, but I, you know, we don't, we can't just communicate like that. We can't just, uh, and expect them to read our minds. It doesn't happen. We've got to be transparent. As we give it time, we've got to be transparent. And as we reveal more about that person, as we learn and grow together, What's beautiful is that that knowledge of that person naturally leads to the revealing of problems in that relationship. I say beautiful, I'll explain in a minute. But as we reveal more of that person, we begin to reveal more problems. And that's what we see here in the passage. In verse 15, this is the woman speaking. Uh, Again, could be a separate poem, could be the exact same little couple. But she's speaking and she says, catch the foxes for us. The little foxes. The ones that spoil the vineyard. For our vineyards are in blossom. This woman is saying, look, I need you to go out there and catch these foxes. Again, we're using these, you know, farm old McDonald uh, examples. Because back then, all the farmers knew that foxes were bad news. Okay, when we think of foxes, we're like, oh yeah, I know foxes, right? They're named Todd and they're friends with hounds and they're really great, right? And that's what they look like. And, oh man. But the reality is that back then, right, if you, we lived in an agrarian society. Even today, if we think of foxes, we think of something much more dark and sinister, right? That's, that's what I know. <laughs> I know. I know. I know. It freaked me out this morning, but I had to keep using it because this was sent to me by one of our interns and he has a lot of explaining to do, but he's, uh, this is just what he found. And I love it because it's so creepy, right? But we see this fox. So we see this is the image that they have. They know that foxes at this time, they're bad news. Why? Because what a fox would do to a farm is they would show up, in this case, in a vineyard, right? So they show up in your vineyard where you're trying to grow grapes or fruit or whatever. And the foxes would run through and they would eat the young fruit or they would even eat the young flowers, the buds, And not only that, not only would they eat the fruit, they would also then dig up your plants that haven't produced fruit yet. And so not only are they doing bad things, they would also prevent good things from happening. And the woman is saying, there are foxes in our vineyard, in this relationship that we have that is in blossom, it's blooming, it's new, and it's wonderful, and it's deepening, and and actually maybe it's not even new anymore, maybe it's, it's ripened and it's blossoming. In this vineyard, there are foxes. We got to hunt them down. We got to take them out. Even Todd, right? Got to take them out. Especially this guy. No one's going to argue with that. We got to get rid of this fox. Why? Because it's bad news. And the reality is that, I mean, we've all got foxes. We've all got foxes in our lives. We've all got issues and problems that are brought to the surface whenever we're in a relationship. 
I was trying to think back on my college time and kind of what those boxes looked like. I talked with a number of our interns and asked them, Man, what, what are the big problems and issues? What are the foxes popping up in your friends' relationships, in your relationships? And I'll tell you, one of the biggest ones that came up over and over and over again, conversation after conversation, was personal past baggage. Man, just emotional pain sometimes physical pain, hurt, abuse, bad relationships. Man, that's what they've all, every single one of them without fail, said, man, I've just seen this, where someone walks into that relationship and they've got some issue that they're just dragging along. I'm telling you, at some point in your relationship, if you are deepening, if you are moving towards marriage, at some point, that baggage needs to be dropped. At some point, that dirty laundry needs to get aired out. At some point, that conversation needs to happen. But I'm telling you, that's where that timing comes in big time. Because if you rush that conversation, that needs to happen. But my gosh, if you rush that, you're going to bring so much more pain you're going to add to that baggage if you rush into that. So be careful. Be cautious. Give it time. Sometimes, whenever that discussion needs to happen, I mean, there also needs to be counseling involved. Let me just encourage you. I know a lot of us, especially these days, now more than ever, we're walking into relationships. We're walking outside of relationships with deep pain and hurt. Things that have happened to us, things that we've done. And I would encourage you, you can talk to someone whose job it is to talk about those things. You can get some counseling, and it does wonders. Because sometimes that baggage, it doesn't need to just be dropped on that person that you're dating, or you're about to be engaged to, or you are engaged to. That doesn't always resolve the issue. Sometimes you've got to go to a professional. Talk to them about it. Get it out there. We've got this baggage Another big fox, another big issue that that pops up over and over uh, is communication. The way that we communicate. We're going to be hitting this a lot more in a few weeks uh, when we talk about conflict and conflict resolution in a relationship. But uh, just to touch on it for a moment is, you know, communication, we're all different. We communicate differently, both in the good times and in the bad times. Guys and girls, uh, we're all across the board. And the reality is that whenever you're in a relationship with someone, you're going to discover that you probably don't perfectly line up. And even if you do both line up perfectly in the way that you communicate, you're probably both doing it wrong, right? Like there's not necessarily, there's, I've never seen a relationship where they're like, you know what? We've never had an issue with talking to each other. Communication. That never happens. It literally never happens. I don't know why. Never. But people come into these relationships, my wife and I, we discovered very early on that we were both opposite ends of this spectrum where something would pop up and her instinct was to take that thing and be like, okay, well, we'll figure that out. Mm, Never. And just kind of put it under a rug, right? (laughs) And just kind of leave it. And maybe we'll get to it. Probably not. Let's just be happy, right? And that was her kind of strategy. That was her instinct. For me, something pops up and I would say, oh, look at this thing. Let's examine it and talk about it and talk about it just right now and all the time and let's just get it out there and make sure everything is worked out. Let's just talk through every possibility and examine every single side of this issue and oh, you're crying? Like, 
whatever. Like, come on, let's talk. Like, wipe away the tears and open your mouth and talk to me. Because I wanted to get it out there and get it figured out. And the reality is that neither of us were in a good spot. And both of us had to realize over time, over conversations with older, wiser people, that we needed to reach a middle ground where something would pop up, an issue would arise, and we would approach it and we would say, okay, you know what? We're going to talk about this, but let's give it an hour. <laughs> let's, let's take some time to think and process. Let's talk about tomorrow morning, right, when we have more time. Let's talk about this time or at this point. So we would know we were going to discuss it. We would, we would work through the issue, but we didn't have to do it immediately, like Jacob the crazy person wanted to, right? We didn't have to do that. We realized that there was this middle ground, this better way to communicate. Man, communication pops up. We also see a lot of times expectations, whether they're unclear expectations or maybe they're unrealistic expectations in a relationship. One of the biggest boxes, one of the biggest issues where people walk into a relationship and they are not clear with what they think it's about or what they expect of this person or what they expect of the relationship or where they think it's going to be in two months or two years or 20 years. And they have all these goals and expectations and they don't communicate them. That's always bad. Always or they walk in, they're completely unrealistic with their expectations. They want this thing from the person, or they want that thing from the person. They want the relationship to go this way, or go that way, or do this thing, or fulfill this need, or that need. And when we see those expectations rise up that are not communicated, they're not realistic, all of a sudden those expectations aren't met, and there's incredible disappointment, and there's personal hurt and pain, and oh my gosh, just don't do it. Catch that fox. Catch it. Hunt it down. Talk about it. When the time is right, be transparent. Find those foxes. Because everybody's got them. I mean, those foxes are out there. And that's what these people find out. We think in Song of Songs, then we've got this beautiful relationship and we're seeing this poetic thread moving throughout the book of this, this couple or group of couples as they move from attraction to marriage to intimacy and all these great things. And yet even this couple or group of couples, even this passage in Scripture, we find and there are foxes that arise. The woman is speaking at the beginning of chapter 3. She says, On my bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I found him not. I will rise now, and so I will go about the city in the streets and in the squares, and I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. And I said, have you seen him whom my soul loves? This woman is in, in uh, t- distress. She, she's freaking out because she says, look, th- there's this guy and my love and, and I can't find him, right? She's describing this scene that some people say, well, this is, could be a dream, right? She's laying in bed and dreaming about it. It could be a memory. Uh, it could just be a, a song, a, a poem. It's not an actual event, but it's, again, just a poetic a song that we're reading. She could be laying in bed thinking about him and then going to try to find him. Or she could be, they could be already a married couple. And she looks into the bed and doesn't see him there where he belongs. And so she goes out looking for him. Either way, what we see is this relationship has a problem. This relationship has a fox. This relationship has a disconnect between the two people, between the individuals. And so the woman initiates and she moves and she pursues. She says, where is he? Where is he? Have you seen him? Have you seen him? And she's running around the city like a crazy person. And eventually she passes the city guards and she found him whom my soul loves. She finds him in the midst of that conflict. She finds resolution. And as soon as she grabs him, she says, 
this is amazing. I'm so glad that I found you. This sense of resolution, this, the security that I feel now leads then to intimacy. And she says, I held him and I would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her who conceived me. Because she says the most intimate place I can think of is my parents' room. Right? Because that's the way it worked back then. I know. It's weird. It's super weird. Right? None of you are going to think like, hey, let's go back to my parents' house. Wink. Right? That's not what we do. But back then in that culture, in that society, they said, you know what? I was conceived. I was created in my parents' room. Therefore, when I think of the most beautiful, intimate environment, it's my parents' room. It's so weird. But it's just what they did. And so she grabs this man. She says, I'm going to take you back. I'm going to take you to my parents' room to this place that is intimate. Like I said, we're going to talk about conflict a lot more in depth in just a few weeks. But what we see here is something beautiful, just a snapshot of what, what commitment in the midst of conflict can accomplish. What we see here is uh, Trey Corey, our, our head college pastor uh, over at Southwood, as we were talking about this, preparing for this week, uh, he said something beautiful. I'm just quoting him directly. He said that conflict presents an opportunity to possibly leave, but resolution shows that you will stay. Conflict shows the reality of love, but staying creates security. We need to find those foxes because they're going to happen. And the reality is that those foxes are good in a way. Conflict can be good and healthy. If you feel like you're in a relationship, you're like, "Ah, I don't have any foxes. That is bad. (laughs) That's bad. Because that means the foxes are there. They're just hiding, right? You remember, there's creepy in that chair, that creepy fox. Imagine him. He's hiding somewhere in your vineyard. Oh my gosh. They're there. If you haven't rooted him out, it's because you haven't looked hard enough or you need to give it a little bit more time. Because the reality is that at some point, we are all going to discover that other people have problems. Man, it's just the way it goes. These people have problems. And not only does this person have problems, but those problems one day are going to directly affect you. Those problems are going to jump up in the middle of your life and throw you off. And they're going to hurt you. I'm telling you, if you get married to someone, you're going to experience some of the greatest joys and loves you've ever felt in your stinking life. But I'm telling you, that marriage brings the greatest pain, the deepest hurt. Because when that person hurts you, sins against you, man, it cuts you right to the core. Because there's no one closer in your life and they just hurt you? What do you do in that moment? How do you respond to that? You've got to draw out these problems. You've got to work towards it. You've got to practice, realizing that when that time comes, when those problems arise, you respond with grace, with love, with forgiveness. Because the reality is that everyone's got those problems. You're never going to find that perfect person. As I've talked with couples and, and, and interacted with people over the years, uh, I'll tell you one of the things that I've realized and kind of noticed 
uh, is that there's this timeline, this kind of general timeline that a lot of people follow, okay? Not 100% of the time, but a lot of the time. People follow this kind of timeline where they start off in the relationship and it's the wonderful honeymoon period, right? At the beginning of the relationship where they can't keep their hands off each other and they're like, woohoo, and like tickling each other and like, ah, oh, you're the best. Yeah, that'd be the best, right? And they're just like so happy and nothing's wrong and it's awesome. It's great. It's a fun time. And then they get, I would say, about two to five months into the relationship. About two to five months. And all of a sudden, they get to the point that I like to call the everyone poops moment. And this is the part where you think back to that book that you thought was so funny when you were two. And you still think it's funny if you're really honest with yourself. But you realize as you look across the table, as you look next to you in the movie theater, as you look at this person who's hanging out with you and your friends, your roommates, your family, whoever, you look at this person, you realize, oh, you have some issues, right? Like you didn't handle that situation very well. Oh, you did not act very nicely to your parents just then. Or, oh, you you weren't really uh, kind or gracious towards your prof or towards this roommate or whatever it is. And you realize that there are issues with this person. You realize, oh, I guess everyone, everyone poops. Okay. And you realize that. But it's a, it's a pretty easy pill to swallow. You're like, okay, you know, like that's, that's all right. Everybody poops, even the horse and the apple. <laughs> I don't know why there's an apple. Even apples poop, right? Like, I guess. And so I'm going to trust in that fact, and I'm going to be okay with it. And that's great. And that's about two to five months in. And then I'll tell you about 10 to 14 months into that relationship. 10 to 14 months. In other words, a year, give or take two months. What they find is the next stage that I like to call the you just pooped in my bed stage. And that's the moment where this person who you realized had some issues, right? You realized they had some problems. All of a sudden, 10 to 14 months in, this person does something. They bring forth a problem. They bring forth an issue and it hurts you directly or indirectly. You are suddenly involved in the midst of that person's problem. And suddenly you're feeling the effects of the brokenness of this other person. And at that moment, you suddenly, a lot of times are caught by surprise. And at that moment, you suddenly have to stop and ask yourself, uh, why are we together? What's going on? And so many times people get blindsided by this moment and they realize, they think, oh, this is the wrong person, right? Like, like I'm not supposed to be with someone who, who hurts me. And suddenly they break up or they, they dissolve it or whatever. They take a break, whatever it is. And they break up and they end that relationship because they're waiting for that perfect person. They're waiting for that person with no problems. But hear me when I tell you that we're not looking for the person with no problems. We're looking for the person that we want with us when the problems arise. Because everyone's got those issues. Everyone's got those problems. You're going to have to work through some problem with someone. So the question isn't who doesn't have these issues. The question is who is worth sticking it out through their issues? Who do I want to fight alongside of when these things pop up? Because everybody's got them. Everybody's got them. My wife and I, when we were dating uh, early on, we had decided... Uh, right before the Christmas break of our freshman year, that we were going to go on this big grand finale date because we were going to be separated for like six weeks over this winter break. Oh, 
no, right? And so we were, we were just so concerned. We're like, okay, we need to go on one big, awesome, super duper date. And so what we did is I lined up an evening where we began at this special uh, dinner place that we knew and loved. And we got this special uh, dinner. And then we went to a separate place and got this special uh, dessert that we knew and loved. And then we went to go see this movie that I thought maybe she would like or whatever. And so we were going through these stages. And as we were in the movie, I was about halfway through. Susan turned and she looked at me and she said, hey, uh, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the bathroom real quick. And I was like, okay, yeah, no, no biggie. So she goes away. And then she comes back a little quicker than I was anticipating. And she just looks at me in the eye and says, uh, we got to go. And I said, uh, why? Like, what's, what's going on? She says, uh, I didn't make it to the bathroom. And I just uh, vomited in this theater. <laughs> we got to go. <laughs> I said, I said, yes, absolutely, we need to go. And so we quickly stand up and we walk out. And as we're walking down the aisle uh, out towards the door, I, I see, sure enough, yep, and uh, we need to go. And so we got out of that theater. And that was honestly, it was about midnight. And that was the beginning of our night uh, where we went and she was still so sick and she was just having these issues and her body was just rejecting all matter. And uh, during this time, uh, I was trying to console her and help her out and bring her water and stuff like that. And then eventually we were just like, we got to go to the emergency room. Like, I don't know what's going on. So we went to the ER uh, like three or four in the morning. Uh, the nurse, you know, we go in, we were there all night till six or seven or something like that in the morning. All night we were in this emergency room just trying to recover. They're hooking her up, giving her these medicines, all this kind of stuff. Because uh, she was so stinking sick. And that night, man, it was this big moment for me where I realized, you know what? I can have these grand plans, this perfect date and all these wonderful things. And the reality is that sometimes it's just going to get messed up. And sometimes, not blaming her for getting sick, but sometimes that other person is going to be involved. Man, I'm going to realize in that moment that everyone vomits. That's what I realized. <laughs> there are issues. No one is immune Everyone has foxes. The question is not who does not have a fox. The question is who do I want with me on that fox hunt? And when you find that person that you're willing, ready, able to decide, I want to go with you. I want to hunt foxes with you. That's when you go to the next step. That's the time. When you look at all this person all that you've revealed about this person. When you look at all these problems, all you've revealed about those problems, and when you see those two things together, when you look at them and you decide, you know what? I'm willing to work through these problems for this person. Then you respond with a promise, a commitment. That's what we call marriage. A lifelong commitment to stick it out through thick and thin. Love is not a passing fling. It's a demanding and exhausting relationship. Trimper Longman III. You can trust him because he's the third man with that name. And this guy, interestingly, this is the guy who's been writing one of the commentaries I've been using a lot for this series. And it's hilarious because this guy is going and dissecting words and going in really intense, uh, very uh, heavy uh, exegetical commentary. But all of a sudden there was this moment uh, where he just begins to speak poetically. And it was beautiful, and I had to capture it. Because uh, he's suddenly just kind of realizing in the midst of, this is a genitive of conga And he says, you know what? <laughs> Love is not a passing fling, but it's a demanding, exhausting relationship. We see that in this scripture. We see this in this passage. And we see this in life. I was reading an article going back, people that are living, living together, cohabitating. 
This woman named Jennifer, she says she never really felt that her boyfriend was committed to her. She says, I I felt like I was on this multi-year, never-ending audition to be his wife. We had all this furniture, we had our dogs, all the same friends, just made it really, really difficult to break up. And then it was like we got married because we were living together once we got into our 30s. They never had this moment where they stopped, looked at their relationship, looked at each other, and committed to each other. I mean, I, I want to do this for you, with you. And this sounds like one of those, even when I was reading, I was like, oh, this must be from like, you know, Relevant Magazine, Focus on the Family, something like that. This is the New York Times. Secular publication. Realizing what our scripture has already said, that we need this commitment, that we need to give it time, that we can't rush love We shouldn't be stirring up or awakening love until it pleases. Instead, we move slowly. We give it time. When are you ready for that step? When you don't rush. When you reveal that person. When you reveal those problems. And when you're willing to press through those problems for that person. And you respond with that promise. You drop to that knee. And you commit yourself to the other person. And what's beautiful is that if we pursue one another like this, if we love one another like this, if we sacrifice and commit ourselves to one another like this, the world will notice and the world won't know what's going on. And it gives us this opportunity to speak to those people and tell them honestly that I know that this person across from me, I know they're broken. I know that they're messed up, but I know that I'm just as broken, that I'm just as messed up. And I know that I have the ability to commit myself to love and sacrifice for this person. I have that ability because there is a God who strengthens me. Because there is a God who loved us both so much that he sacrificed his life on our behalf. We are able to push through the problems for the sake of that person through that promise. Because our God did it first. Because our God saw us while we were still sinners, while we were children of wrath. God, being rich in mercy, sent his son to die for us. That's the message of our gospel that can be reflected through the melody of our relationships. And as we sing a couple more songs and worship just a little bit longer, I would encourage you to be thinking about those relationships, the relationship with God that maybe you have, maybe you don't. The relationship that I'm telling you is the only way to find true satisfaction, true joy, true peace on this earth. A relationship with God that's only possible by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior. I would encourage you to think about those other relationships that maybe you're looking back on, that you're in, that you're looking towards. And be thinking about, man, how have I have rushed things or, or how do I uh, expect things to happen? What, what are my expectations? What are my thoughts? How, how do I think that's going to work? Am I waiting for that perfect person? Am I realizing that there are problems for every single individual on this planet? Think about those relationships. How have they worked out? How should they work? Let's worship the Lord. Let's pray. God, we, we just thank you that you saw fit to love us, God, even when we were your enemies. 
God, even when we were children of wrath, Lord, we thank you that you are so good. If you would, take a moment, just ask the Lord to convict you, to grab a hold of your heart, show you where maybe you've been misguided, where maybe you've dealt wrongly in a relationship in the past, maybe a relationship you're in with that person sitting next to you right now. Ask the Lord to convict you. Ask him that now. If you would take a moment, ask the Lord to show you the the path to repentance. In other words, how can you turn around and run the opposite direction? By his leading, by his strength, how can you seek uh, to reconcile with that person you wronged? How can you seek to uh, begin accountability with a friend to watch over your relationship that you're in or that you're pursuing? How can you set your mind right? How can you commit yourself to following the Lord before you try to follow after any other person. Ask him to show you that way right now.